Father God, thank you for this new morning. Thank you for this past year. You have shown your faithfulness to us, and we praise you for that. I pray now as we open your word, that your word would be spoken. But too, God, I pray that your word would be understood. Because our hearts come calloused before you, and we need you to soften them. We need your word today, now as much as ever. So may your spirit move mightily in here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's the last day of 2017. And if you go to Google or any, any, anywhere else, and you search for um, New Year resolutions, you're going to get a whole number of lists of ideas. I found one list that listed 50 of them. And I asked myself, if there are that many, which one really works? You know, get in shape, eat healthier, stop procrastinating, meet new friends, improve your mental skills, earn more money, get more sleep, learn a new language. These are good, but what is the purpose of a resolution? Is it to make you happier? To help you feel better? Isn't that what we all want out of a new year? We hope for it to improve. We hope for it to bring us more happiness, to bring less strife. And resolutions are the vehicles we hop on to take us there, only to jump off after a while, realizing it's not really working. We're going to end the year here at Trinity with the first psalm. The first psalm is an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. But it's also an introduction to a life lived in wisdom. And it is, a, it is truly a proper foundation for which to enter a new year. So if you haven't done so already, I would like to invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 1. Um, and if you don't have a, your own Bible and you, you want to use the Pew Bible, Psalm 1 is found on page 840. 840. It'll also be behind me here in portions. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So in this first psalm, we stand at the gateway to the entire Psalter, the entire book of Psalms. This is the foundation of biblical wisdom, and thusly it's the foundation of wisdom for our own personal lives. And now we have two main characters in this psalm. We have the blessed one, and then we have the wicked, which is a group. And we already see the juxtaposition here of 
of the singular one against the many, suggesting that he is in the minority against the majority. But as we work our exposition of this psalm, this is helpful, because biblical wisdom stands in juxtaposition to the wisdom of the world. And now you may have re read this psalm many times before, or maybe this is the first time you've heard it, but still, deep down in the back of your heart, you have that prodding, twinkling of a question. Is this really true? Is this really what blessing looks like? Is this really what happiness looks like? Now, the Hebrew verb equates blessedness with happiness, deep-rooted happiness. Happy is the man or the woman. Happy is the one. Is this really true? Is this really true, you ask? Your heart asks. Well, we'll get back to this. First, we've got to see what makes this person blessed. So it starts off. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. We have a trio of negations, things that the blessed man or the blessed woman does not do. This is where the blessed do not go. And look at the trio again. Walk, stand, sit. This kind of language isn't pointing to a singular event. The blessed, the godly, the Christians, they don't go here, they don't do this. You know they're Christian because they don't do this. No, that's not the point. This kind of language is pointing to a state of being, say a whole lifestyle, your identity. This is who you are. Whether you're walking, standing, sitting, driving, flying, swimming. Now we can ask, what does it mean to walk in step with the wicked, to stand in the way that sinners take, and to sit in the company of mockers? Basically, blessed is the one that does not follow the ways of the world. The wicked follow their sinful hearts towards their desires, towards their greed, for the sake of their pride, and they bet everything they've gotten in a short few years here on earth. Now, in Jewish culture, you sat where you belonged. The rich with the rich, the old with the old, the young with the young, the sinners with the sinners. Blessed is the one who does not sit in the company of. Blessed is the one who is not like the ones sitting there. Blessed is the one who identifies with something else, somebody else. It does not mean, however, that we don't walk next to the wicked. It does not mean that we don't stand next to the sinners or sit by the mockers. Look again at the language. Walk in steps, stand in the way, sit in the company. Blessed is the one who do, whom does not do what they do. And our supreme and ultimate example of this and what this looks like is Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read from the Gospel of Mark. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, 
they asked his disciples. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus went to Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with them. This is radical. This would be like Pastor Gary going to have dinner with a biker gang that had just robbed a bank. This is just not what a reputable teacher does. You see that in the response of the Pharisees, right? They, they were the teachers at the time. Why is he doing that? He's supposed to be above us. He's supposed to be above all those lowly people. But Jesus didn't go to Levi's house to participate in debauchery, to discuss how to best steal somebody's money. He did not walk in step with the wicked. He walked in his own step alongside them. He sat down alongside them because they needed a doctor, Jesus said. And you see how, we, how even the Pharisees fell short of this? They are there trying to attain perfection, a perfect report card worthy of being embossed with several golden stars. But they are drowning in their own sinfulness, in their sinful pursuit of self-perfection and self-preservation. But now, let's turn the page to see where the blessed do go. We have seen the path they don't walk on, but where do they go? What do the blessed do? Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed one delights in the law of the Lord. Now this is not referring to the specific books in the Bible that deal with the law. The law here can be equated with the word of God. The blessed one delights in the word of God. On his law or word, he meditates day and night. And meditation is a, somewhat of a bygone term in our culture, at best reserved for um, yoga classes or something like that. But basically, the bare meaning of it is to mutter something under your breath. So the author is pointing to the fact that the blessed one surrounds himself with the word of God. It's on his mind day and night, and that is where he finds his true delight his sustenance. Instead of finding his sustenance in the things that the wicked do, the blessed one has his eyes set on eternity, realizing that there is far more to his life than the few years he has here. And so in verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The description of the blessed one is Edenic. It's a, it's a whisper of the perfect paradise with God. It's poetic, but the meaning is unmistakable. He is like a tree planted by the water with all the nutrition that he needs. The tree yields fruit and the leaves do not wither. But it's crucial, though, to have a right understanding of what it means here to prosper. Surely you've seen all kinds of devout believers who have delighted in the Word of God but they haven't really prospered here on earth. Whether it's through persecution or personal strife like health issues or anything else, life is riddled with difficulties. And this is seemingly irregardless of one's devotion to God. But the prosperity here is not material prosperity. 
which withers, rots, breaks down, fails, and gets old, but it's spiritual prosperity. The blessed one who seeks God's word, meditates on it, faces anything in life with an eternal perspective and an eternal reward. And this is so much more beautiful than one of those infomercials on TV. They lure you in by showing you the latest gadget for your kitchen, right? And then right by the time when you're ready to flip the channel, they blurt out, wait, there's more, we'll send you two. <laughs> there is more to our existence than our life on this earth, but it's not a mere second offer of cherry on top of your ice cream. It's our true existence. It's what we're created for, our union with God. So blessed is the one who does not walk in the ways of the world, but who delights in the word of God. He is like a tree that has all that it needs. Do you see what the psalmist is saying? This is hope. This is refuge for weary souls. This is sustenance for those who are tired. We fight and labor. We sweat and toil. But blessed is the one who delights in the word of God where he or she prospers. But what about those the psalmist call wicked? Verse 4. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now the term wicked is strong and sounds derogatory. I'm sure we all have people that we like to call this term. But... The term wicked here is actually the same Hebrew word for guilty. So, we're all wicked because we're all guilty of sin. There is not one person in this assembly here today that is not guilty of sin. But Jesus, who was sinless, became our sacrifice. He took our sin, he took our guilt, and bore it so that God may look at us and see his righteousness on us. So we have no right to look at other people at those who are without Christ, with condescending eyes, and, and call them wicked. Because we are too. We can only raise our hands to our mighty Savior, who is Jesus Christ, and praise Him for His great love. We can only bow our knees and say, You are King and You are Lord. We are not separated from sinners, from the worst of the worst, because of ourselves or because of the good things that we do. God doesn't care if one has sinned more than the other. Sin is sin, and we have all failed. If you have sinned, you're a sinner, period. What separates you is Jesus Christ. So back to verse 4. The wicked, the guilty, who have not accepted the sacrifice of Christ and thusly stand righteous before God, they're not so. They're not like a tree by the water. They do not prosper in all that they do. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is that stuff that surrounds the grain, you know, like wheat. And you toss the wheat up in the air, and the chaff is so dry and lifeless that the wind just drives it away. So are the wicked, dry and lifeless. Now, many of the successful people you see are people living without God. They don't know Christ, and they don't care about what he did for them. Their material prosperity is great. Be it a big house, good health, big bank account. 
But all these things are like chaff, and there will be a day when the wind will drive it away. The great Russian author Leo Tolstoy, in his memoir, Confessions, confessed to this reality. And I quote, And all this befell me at a time when all around me I had what is considered complete good fortune. I was not yet 50. I had a good wife who loved me and whom I loved, good children, and a large estate, which without much effort on my part improved and increased. I was respected by my relations and acquaintances more than at any previous time. I was praised by others and without much self-deception could consider that my name was famous. And far from being insane or mentally deceased, I enjoyed on the contrary, a strength of mind and body such as I have seldom met with among men of my kind. Physically, I could keep up with the peasants at mowing, and, I mental, and mentally I could work for eight and ten hours at a stretch. And in this situation I came to this, that I could not live, and fearing death, had to employ cunning with myself to avoid taking my own life. Why did Tolstoy have this great struggle? And later he says, My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Life. The things in life are like chaff. The wind will blow it away. Verse 5 and 6. And therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now biblical eschatology, or the biblical teachings on the end, signify that there will come a day of judgment when those who are righteous in Christ will be separated from those who are not. And this again sounds separatist to our culture. But the reality is that it has nothing to do with individual efforts of people. There is no one who has been so good in life as to earn a ticket for that day. It's all and only the difference of whether you've accepted Jesus Christ. That's it. The worst of the worst sinners can accept Jesus Christ and stand on the day of judgment. I was just having this conversation with my brother, one of my brothers, at home in Sweden. He's been through a lot. He's done a lot. And he's not really doing well. He's always listened to rap and hip-hop, and it's always been a medium uh, through which he communicates. And he's, a couple weeks ago, he sent me a music video from YouTube from a Christian rapper. I'm not going to rap, rap it, but, but I will read a portion of it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't... Let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. To the brokenhearted that wished that they'd never been born, never been torn, never sinned, never disobeyed, I know you think there's no hope, but that ain't true. Jesus saves. Jesus came with the keys. Jesus came to remove the chains so the prisoners are released. It's real. And my brother sent me this video 
And he asked me if this actually applied to him too. Even me, he said. The broken people of this world think that they're too broken for Jesus. They can hear a song like this, and they still think that the love of Christ is not wide enough to reach them. But the worst of the worst can accept Jesus Christ and stand. And he came for them. He came for the broken. The best and the kindest of humanistic philanthropists can muster and try all they want to stand on that day on their own. But the weight of their sinful hearts will force them down. Only Jesus Christ. There will be no sinners in the congregation of the righteous, the psalmist says. Why? Because God is holy. God's own nature demands righteousness. If there was sin where God was, God would no longer be holy. He would no longer be who he is. It's hard for us to comprehend. But all that we need to comprehend is that he loves us enough to send his own son, part of himself, to provide a way for sinners like us to be with them, like we were created to be. And so then we move to our last verse, 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And now this is a remarkable term here, the, the Lord knows. The verb used in the Hebrew for knowledge here does not mean something like, I know somebody who knows something about this. It's not a peripheral knowledge, a mere inkling of someone or something. It's the verb for describing the knowledge between, say, a husband and a wife. It's the most thorough and or intimate knowledge of what is known. God knows his people. The New Testament teaches us that God knows the number of hair on your head. God cares deeply for you, and he loves you deeply. God cares and loves for all people. All were created in his image. There is, therefore, no direct separation between you and the love that God has for a guilty sinner. It's not a school recess circle where you can point to someone and say, ha, God loves me, but he does not love you. No, God does love all. God wants all to be in his fold. He certainly pursues all. But the word is clear. Those who do not accept Jesus Christ as their sacrifice will perish. And we are not left to frame our own system of religion according to our own and best judgment. But we adhere to the word of God where he has revealed himself to us. It might not all make sense, but God tells us that he loves us and that he cares for us. And the invitation to come to Christ is offered to all. And we learn, too, that blessed is the one, happy is the one who clings to Christ and to the word of God. Not because of a peripheral, material, evanescent gladness but because of our condition as sinners made righteous by the spotless lamb who was Christ, sent from God out of love and mercy for us. 
Now, what does this mean for you? What does this first psalm mean for you? It's going to be a new year tomorrow. And it's a perfect opportunity for you to choose a path to take. You're at a fork in the road, and you can pursue true blessedness, which comes from God's word and a relationship with Jesus Christ, or a false imitation of this world. You can live your life with an eternal lens, always seeing through all encounters and experiences with a beyond-worldly perspective. And you can take heart to the fact that true wisdom is to realize that true blessedness does not mean material prosperity or success in this world. Don't walk in step with the world, desiring the prosperity which it offers. Know that those things are like chaff, so easily driven away by the wind. And instead pursue true wisdom by seeking to delight in God's word. You can seek to meditate on it. You can begin by, by taking a few verses that you can easily memorize and you can chew on them with your mind, day, night, through encounters, through experiences. Let the word of God guide you in all that you do and in the decisions that you make. But more than that, look to the perfect example of Jesus and don't shun the people around you because of their sin or their imperfections. Remember that you too are a sinner. And remember that Jesus came for the worst and that he sat down to have dinner with them. Truly, tomorrow will be a new year. This is a great opportunity to choose a path to travel on. Don't settle from your resolutions, but truly commit yourself and your life Will you walk in step with the wicked, or will you delight in the law of the Lord? Pursue God's wisdom and pursue His people, all the people that don't know Him yet, just like He pursued you and drew you into His loving fold. So be in this world, be with the people, but don't be of this world and like its people. Be who God called you to be. Be the lighthouse that guides in the darkest night back into the harbor where God is and where God loves and holds all those who come to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your character, your great love, which is unlike anything else that we see. May we take heed, uh, heed unto your word today and always. May we listen, un listen unto you and truly realize that blessed is the one who delights in you, O Lord. And may we draw near to you today and in all of this new year. May we realize the riches that you offer to us. May we not be like children playing in mud puddles when the vastness of the ocean is just beyond. Help us, O God, to realize and to embody this. In Jesus' name we pray.